0: And we pray, Amen. So we have a uh, memory verses for this, or memory verse for this series. And uh, Bill is making up those bookmarks that I talked to you about with all our different memory verses from the various series uh, lately on that. And so uh, they'll they'll be done. I don't know when, uh, but soon. And that'll be nice to have. Uh, but the the verse for this series is Galatians two twenty. Uh, and I thought maybe this morning we could just all re- recite that out loud together. All right. Now remember, I'm a little ADD, so I read fast. So you're going to, have to follow along. So we're going to do this out loud. Galatians 2:20, starting in verse, verse 20. Obviously, uh, here we go. Ready? One, two, three. I have been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave Himself for me. That's a nice verse. I love that verse. Uh, really, is a, a, an encouraging verse to. Uh, to memorize so uh, we are in this series hard conversations uh, if you're new with us you stepped right into it right you know uh, but this series is designed to help us to um, you know as Christians to have discerning and effective conversations in love with people that might think differently than us uh, I'm urging us uh, all to listen to God's voice during this series to really kind of be uh be, not, not necessarily this is the pastor's opinion, but really listen to the voice of God. And I hope that my words, my demeanor, you know, are a conduit for the message that God would want to convey as we meet together. Um, whatever he has to say to us through his word. So we're addressing five different affirmations in this series, which give guidance for how to love uh, as kingdom people in good communication with others. Um, the thread and the basic value of sort of learning from others, particularly those that don't uh, think like us, uh, uh, runs throughout all these series. Are these sermons? Ah, excuse me. Dry mouth. Um, and we want to learn how to have these hard conversations with others in love, right? Uh, bringing thoughtful perspective to uh, the challenging topics of life, and there are plenty of them these days, right? We don't want, we, ha- we have no interest, and let me be clear about this, that we have no interest in being compromising in our beliefs, our convictions, and our values as Bible-believing Christians, right? But we do want to be able to speak those things well to other people. Um, our first week, if you were here, and if you weren't, this is what we talked about, we asked the question, are we reflecting or overcoming Division. Are we reflecting or overcoming division? And we looked at how Jesus prayed for our unity um, in the book of John, recognizing that thought is the defining factor of unity with Jesus and in the body of Christ, which is the church, right? So thought is the defining factor of unity. And and we want to submit ourselves. Uh, We said this, uh, that we wanted to submit ourselves to his guidance, right, Uh, in his word, in His Spirit, uh, in the Church, in order to be true to Scripture, to gain unity, to glorify Christ, and to fulfill His mission in the world, it's all about God's uh, God's glory and God's mission, right? Uh, constantly growing in our understanding of the Scriptures, um, what they communicate God to be, and you know who we are in light of His revelation to us in these things. You know all that stuff. We want to conf- you know conform ourselves. To Jesus, right we want to to, to be, be transformed into his likeness uh, as we go about life, and that 's an important aspect of the Christian life. Last week, we stated our first affirmation. if you remember, uh, said, we said that God has all truth, um, but we don 't have a perfect understanding of truth. God has all truth, but we don 't have a perfect understanding of truth. so God reveals truth to us, and we have to interpret it if you remember. Uh, we don 't fully grasp all that God is or 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 has communicated to us, but we are to grow in it as Christians. We are to understand it and grow to it and seek it and all that kind of stuff. But there are things that we definitely do know concerning God and the Christian life from the scriptures you know that the church has agreed upon uh, for centuries and and we have to we ha- we have to learn to stand on that truth and and do that in humility as imperfect humans in process, right? Um, But we shouldn't be afraid of having strong convictions or having strong beliefs and values coupled with the humbling knowledge that we can be wrong, especially uh, in the murky waters of personal opinion on hot topics, right? Which we have plenty of room to do that these days. And so today we're going to look at our second affirmation, which is being loving is as important as being right. Being loving is as important as being right. Being right sounds so strange to say these days, right? And we all feel that. Turn to page 785 in your church bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 13 verse 2, page 785 in that bible right there in front of you on the on the chairs. And you remember I'll be cautioning us throughout this series uh, and I, I don't want you to read that statement as only being loving is important. That's not what it says, right? Read it as it is written. Truth is actually equally important in the process of being loving. Truth is equally important in the process of being loving. So we need to love truthfully, and we need to truthfully love, right? 1 Corinthians 13.2, our central verse for, for the day, says if I understood all of God's secret plans and possessed all knowledge, and if I had such faith that I could move mountains but didn't love others, I would be nothing. So if I could do wonderful, great things, you know, but I didn't love, I'm not worth much, right? Now let's remember, as we think through this, being right matters. It does, it really does. Uh, we, We should be clear that doing our best to be in the right, is actually very important. That sounds so strange these days, but it is true. Christianity isn't an excuse for intellectual laziness. It's really not. We ought to be zealous about understanding the scriptures and coming to correct conclusions about them, we ought to think and research and work diligently to understand uh, the political and the cultural sort of complexities of our day and what it means to be a faithful follower of Christ in the midst of all of that. That's definitely true for us. So for the Christian who wants to be used in kingdom work or be used in the kingdom of God, um, we give up the right to intellectual laziness. Right? We just do. That's why things simple things like a good prayer life and and discipleship relationships and, and uh Bible studies and, and quiet times are all so important, right? We are constantly growing and understanding, becoming experts on people and the situations in which we find ourselves in order that uh we can be good communicators of Jesus, right? An effort driven not by the pride of being right but of the love of serving Jesus by serving humanity, by loving humanity really well into truth. So being correct or or solid in our convictions, beliefs, and values as derived from the Scriptures is important because people are important and because, maybe even more importantly, that the, the name of Christ is at stake. Right, so we want to re- represent him well as his ambassadors, and that, my friends, is a labor of love at its foundational level. Right, it is. It is really a, a topsy turvy, getting your yourself dug out and ripped apart and and reordered uh, all throughout life. So it's a, it's a good it's a good exercise. But in that process, being right matters, being loving matters. Right, uh, Paul's theme uh, in this verse is not that it's pointless to understand God's secret plans or to possess knowledge or or to have great faith and all that stuff if we read all of the rest of the New Testament all the letters it it becomes very clear that that is precisely what Christians were you know were seeking to do in life and so to say that love is is as important as these things isn't to say that these things aren't important right um Paul isn't sort of knocking knowledge, and the proof is in the pudding. Paul was a very educated man, like at the top of his game, uh, as far as being educated, who used his knowledge to love others for the sake of Christ, right? That's what he used his knowledge for. His, his knowledge was subservient to Jesus, and sometimes that was confrontative when it needed to be. And we see that in the, book of, uh, the books of Corinthians and things like that. But knowledge and love uh, and the love of God are intertwined. What we find out is the knowledge and love of God are intertwined like two vines that we can't separate, right? You know how vines grow together. You pull one apart, you kill the other one, right? Um, they're, they're like intertwined. We can't separate them. They need each other. Someone once said that love without truth lies and truth without love kills. not that a great statement? I've used that quite often because I love it so much. Love without truth lies, truth without love kills. Now, um, release one from the other and they become damaging, so to speak, right? But together they are life-giving. Truth and love working together are life-giving to humanity. So being right matters, being loving matters, and love orients us to Christ, right? Love orients us to Christ. Love enables all the other pursuits to be put into its right place. Love is like sort of the, um, the sun at the, the center of the Christian ethical solar system, right? You know, sort of holding all the other virtues in their proper orbits, you know, like letting them go around in, in, a, in, a, in a proper orbit. But love creates the sort of the motivation space in which we make use of the knowledge and faith that we endeavor to attain in life, right? Uh, knowledge on its own can be very dangerous. We all know that. It can be used to help others, but it also can be used to manipulate and bludgeon others. We know that. We've seen that happen in life. Uh, we are guided, as Christians, we are guided by the love revealed to us through Jesus to use our knowledge well uh, in, a, in a loving way. But love, too, becomes dangerous right when when it 's unhinged from the knowledge of God, it becomes something that is you know either needy or manipulative or controlling and and it 's a tool of human desire and emotion right it 's not really uh, anchored in truth anymore right first corinthians thirteen two does the same to our inner selves as the the message last week, right? That it that it draws us into the important aspect of love, which is humility. Really? Humility, right? That's that's a hard word. You know, if you say you're humble, you're not, I guess, but right? You know, we want to be humble. So if I'm the most theologically informed person in the room, you know, like I, I know my history, I can argue people you know, in circles, philosophically, if I can, you know, sort of hold my own in all these different conversations and know a lot about a lot of things. But if I'm not loving, I have lost my effectiveness. I have lost my voice and I've lost my influence. And most importantly, out of all that, I'm not really reflecting Jesus, right? Not really reflecting Jesus. Now, this is intuitive for most of us, right? You know, we think about all those people out there in the limelight of life, you know, our politicians, our leaders, and all that kind of stuff. Many of them very smart people, proficient in business or economics or psychology or what have you, whatever they're proficient in. But we never get to see them care, and so we tune them out. Which is why we don't really listen to all those voices that we see out there on the Internet, you know, in YouTube videos or, um, you know, the news, Twitter and Facebook feeds and all that kind of stuff, because we can't see their lives. We really can't. We can't see that they care. We see them only in positions of being attacked and then having to defend themselves or they get like, you know, 30 seconds to make their, get their point across, you know, and you get a one-liner and that's about it. We never get to see what they do in community with others or how they care for their kids or their spouse, right? It's unhealthy communication to say the least. We can get ideas from people distant from us, but really, we need to be in community, com- community with people for it to be healthy. Healthy communication has to be in the context of doing life together, so to speak. Words and ideas cannot be divorced from how people see us live. It's just very different. A pastor friend of mine was criticized once for saying something in a sermon that he did not meant to, mean to communicate, and it was hurtful him for, to him to be criticized like this. And I knew him really well, and so we had lunch, and he asked me what I thought, and I said to him, after he told me the story, I said, you know, knowing you, how could that person even come to that conclusion? Like they don't, they couldn't come to that conclusion, right? How could they make that claim about you? They, they should know you, Right. In other words, his life doesn't reflect what they claimed that he was communicating, and, and they weren't taking his words in the context of who he was as a person, and lo and behold, after we talked a little while, I found out that the person, you know, had never spent any time with him, was very disconnected from him, from him and actually very even disconnected from his church. It was just sort of a random shot over the bow, right? You know, if there was a doctor who consistently gave free treatment and volunteered their time in poverty-stricken areas, but they disagreed with government-controlled healthcare, and that was your issue, right? You could disagree with them on that point. That's fine, no problem. But you might overstep your line, the line if you blame them for not caring for the poor if you didn't take their lives into account. The question is, what are we doing You know, how is love showing itself not only in our words, but practically in our lives to other people around us? Because love isn't an emotional feeling. It's not acquiescence. It's not agreement on a hot topic or issue or a political stance. Love is an action and a devotion for the well-being of others. And that can be very different than our political worldviews on issues at hand. And we cannot possibly take action on every little thing we think out there, right? So we do our best to focus right on loving those people right in front of us. Love is a decision to act in ways which are beneficial to humankind, which is why the knowledge of God is so important, because God created the world and everything in it to operate in a certain way, which is life-giving to all of us. I'm reading through the Old Testament right now, and it's so obvious that the guys, the kings that followed the Lord brought life to the community. The kings that didn't just destroyed everything around them. We've also heard it said that I don't care how much you know until I know how much you care. I don't care how much you know until I know how much you care. That's kind of true, right? First John 4, 8 says, whoever does not love does not know God because God is love. God is love. If you want to know where love is, look, look to God, Right? He is where a love originates from, he, he, you know, he is true love, he has, he has standards which aren't you know, to be regarded as limiting, but rather as freeing, since they are in line with how we were created to be, and, and they make us complete and they make us full. His moral standards are actually loving, although unpopular at times. They're actually loving. And just because somebody disagrees with what God says or who God is created to be or communicated to be in the scriptures, it doesn't mean that God is an ogre or the cosmic killjoy, right? It means that they have not grasped the deeper reasons why God calls us to these things and they need to take the time to adjust their thinking to God's thinking. As we said last week, justice is a trait of God which should be reflected in us naturally as Christians, right? This week we say that God is love, which also should be reflected in us and in our relationships with each other. And part of loving is how we speak. I think a lot about that as I stand up in front of you every week. I really do. How we speak, our body language, you know, the words we choose and the intonation in which we say them. Staying at the table... In community with others, having our hard edges knocked off of us is the process by which the Spirit of God uh, makes his word and his character real in, within us, right? And it makes us more complete and loving people. But you got to stay. You got to work it out. Scripture teaches that you cannot be a Christian devoid of the local church. I heard a guy on the radio this week was like, I'm a Christian. I believe this, but I don't go to a church. And I'm like, well, it doesn't work that way, brother. It just doesn't work that way. Scripture teaches that you cannot be a Christian devoid of the local church. As community is reflected in the Trinity, we are made like Christ in community with other people, the local church, in the local body of Christ, right? We're we're commanded, actually, in Scripture to continue to meet with one another in fellowship and in word and worship and all that stuff. And this is one of the greatest reasons why, because we need it. We not only need Jesus himself, but we need Jesus in community to become like Jesus, that's that a strange thing? Now these days, love has been diminished to acquiescence or celebration of anything that any random person desires. We're deemed hateful if we disagree with somebody. It's as if somebody feels something, they think something, so it must be true for everybody else, even though that might be contradictory with the guy right next to you. It's a culture of relativism that we talked about last week and much of it is not rooted in the truth and therefore it is damaging to the human soul. It is damaging to the human soul. It is contrary to scriptural teaching about who God is and humanity in light of who God is. And let me say this. It's a satanic brilliance. It is absolute satanic brilliance to divorce love from truth so that the truth-teller becomes the evil one. Let me say that twice. It is satanic brilliance to divorce love from truth so that the truth-teller becomes the evil one in society. And that's what's happened. That is exactly what's happened. God's love is truthful and straightforward. And it comes with certain axioms because they bring health and life to humanity. So, as I said, his moral standards are actually loving. They're actually loving to humanity. And all of them are linked to his character and his created order. And he created the world to operate in certain ways that are reflective of his perfect character with truths that will never change. For instance, our largest conversation right now in the world maybe and in the church is the, the conversation of human sexuality. Our Christian convictions on this subject aren't just a moral stance that we created in our minds. Right? We just didn't come up with it on our own. You know, contrary to popular belief, it wasn't a bunch of old white guys that sat in around the room trying to wonder how we could ruin everybody's good time. That's not how it happened, right? These convictions are born out of the created order of Scripture and, and are threads running all throughout Scripture. All throughout Scripture. They begin with the truth that God created humankind, that we, he made them male and female, and he called it very good. He called it very good. Physically, emotionally, and spiritually, there are differences in men and women made to complement one another. There are differences in gender and between the sexes for very good reasons. And only until recently did gender and sex uh, mean the same thing. The word gender, up until recent history, had an identical meaning to sex, right? But they had been separated out in an academia somewhere around the 1970s. And, you know, eventually it trickled down to the, to the everyday person as we all went through higher education. Gender meant sex, sex meant gender. Gender and sex were both terms describing the biological makeup of a person, male or female. Gender simply provided a more polite sort of conversational tool, given that the word sex obviously conjured certain images in people's minds, the act itself. Somewhere along the line, a new concept of gender was sort of defined or born as the way that one presents themselves in society. So it became the person's choice. And notice right there that the term had to be divorced from biology at that point and untethered from biology. It can fly wherever it wants, and it has. We've seen it. Christians, though, confess That our spirituality encompasses our physical reality. That creation, biology, nature are all important and actually God deems them as all very good. They are spiritual and we are embodied spiritual beings in a spiritual material world. There's an order God has placed on us in how we operate in life, how we interact sexually even which is reflective of God and his relationship to the church. So Christians adhere in order to reflect his complete character and his love to the church as well as to the world around us. We believe biology to be a spiritual thing. God created it for certain purposes, which he outlines in the scriptures. Part of that is life-giving, having babies. The scriptures begin with a wedding in Genesis and they end with a wedding in Revelation. Do you ever think about that? And all throughout the scriptures, there's this language of love between the sexes communicated constantly, which, which, you know, images the church's relationship with God himself. It communicates love in all of its forms, you know, even physical erotic love, and, and as well as all the attributes that are necessary for a loving relationship to to exist and last and endure through time, submissiveness, respect, fidelity, commitment, forgiveness, so on and so forth, all the, all things like that. Now, I got to say that, you know, we can't take the time today to run through all the biblical sort of citations to these allusions, but we hope to in future sermons, we hope to address this more and more as we go on. And, And the reason being is it's such a big deal in our society right now. It is a huge deal. And we cannot be silent on it. But to say that one can go outside of church conviction on human sexuality and the relegation of sex in marriage between a man and a woman is to go outside of God's will and to incise what we don't agree with from the scriptures, which is to conform God to our image instead of ours to his. Which is very, very damaging to the human soul, to humanity across the board. So in our day and age, the truth that we speak to some people, especially in areas such as this, may feel at the onset to be unkind. It might feel that way. However, listen to this very closely. Christians see beyond emotion, beyond feeling, and even beyond desire, we are not just concerned with how somebody feels, but for the state of their soul, which goes beyond that. It goes deeper than that. And we realize from the scriptures that every aspect of life, physical, emotional, and spiritual, all play into this stuff. It's why we're willing to have the hard conversations. It's why we're willing to do that. We all may have certain desires and feelings on the surface which drive us to do things uh, or make decisions which are damaging to our souls. It's not just limited to this, this issue, right? So the Christian... Speaking truth and love may offend somebody. We might offend somebody. But that offense should always come because of the truth spoken in love to that person. Right? And not due to our attitude towards them and never due to our hurtful or disrespectful words or actions towards them. We have no business doing that stuff. You know, people like Ricky Gervais, I love him. We're total opposites, right, as far as our beliefs. But uh, he believes that science is an affront to Christianity. I brought this up recently. But we just don't agree with that in the church. I don't see where he gets that. We don't agree with it. Science is not the church's enemy. It's not. It's our friend. The physical world with all its laws of physics, all created by God. That's what I believe, right? We just acknowledge that sin somehow, some way, has thrown a fly in the ointment. That's all we're saying, right? Which even has physical ramifications or repercussions. We welcome science, and we feel it actually bolsters the axioms of scriptural life in the end, although that may take time to unfold before us as finite people try to figure out infinite things, right? Sometimes it seems like they're not working together, but eventually you find out that they do. But Ricky Gervais and our culture have taken to ignoring science, at least in this aspect, of divorcing gender from sex. They have. Denying the very obvious physical makeup and adding new categories beyond what physically and scientifically is obvious to the naked eye. And the hypocrisy goes unacknowledged and unconfessed. It's just such a strange thing. We want what we want what we want. That's it. Was there a need to redefine what it means to be a man or a woman in society? Yes, there 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 was and probably still is. Social constructs are sometimes narrow and unfair and limiting and all that kind of stuff, but redefinition can t- be taken too far, which we usually do. We always swing the pendulum too far and de- and it deny it, c- it could deny what is truly masculine or truly feminine, which is actually wonderful and reflective of God. Is there room and grace for those who struggle with same-sex attraction in the church? Sure there is. Sure there is. But is there room for the practice of homosexual lifestyles in the Christian church and have it reflect God and reflect the church? No, I'm sorry to say, it. there is not. There is not. All of us have our point of struggle in the Christian life. We all do. These are no different, you know, than someone else's anger or overindulgence in some other area, you know, or some other outward action. They're just the things that we struggle with in life. No one is any better or worse than the other person. Being loving is as important as being right. And being right is as important as being loving. And being right should be tempered strongly with love and respect and gentility of Jesus because we are handling the human heart. And being loving doesn't compromise truth either. It just doesn't. It's a great witness to see a really smart, gifted person lovingly and humbly serving others by leading them deeper into truth. Have you ever noticed that Jesus spoke rather sharply to the religious, religious elite? That he very openly you know, confronted religious pride? You know, the Pharisees had all the knowledge but none of the love, right? They really did. Pharisees probably didn't take too kindly to be be called washed tombs or a brood of vipers. They probably didn't like that too much. Jewish peoples probably weren't very happy when Jesus came into the temple and overturned tables and whipped people. There's a time and a place for a sharp word and that may come from another brother and sister in the faith and whatever you know, issues that we're, we're walking through. But, but for those on the outside, Jesus spoke pretty kindly to them, didn't he? However, he also did not overlook their sin. He didn't just turn a blind eye. He confronted it directly. And you often hear him ending the conversation with go and sin no more. Go and sin no more. It is important how we live. Read the account of the woman at the well. He was very gentle with her, but in no way did he excuse her sin. He confronted it directly. And I think his intonation with her was very different than it was with the Pharisees, since they were operating out of religious pride, and she was probably operating out of like, you know, hurt and loneliness and things like that. She had all these husbands, and the guy she was with at the current time was not her husband or something like that. Her lifestyle was still not excusable in the kingdom of God because it wasn't good for her and it wasn't good for anybody else around her and it didn't reflect the fidelity and the commitment of God to his church. So what do we do if we conclude that a sister or brother in Christ is you know, deeply wrong about a moral issue? Well, first we, choo- we choose, operative word, choose, we choose to love that person. We may not feel like loving them at times, but we choose to love that person. It doesn't mean that we have to agree with them. It doesn't mean that we have to affirm their belief or, or even affirm their actions. That does not, that's not what it means. But we can decide that since Jesus loves all of us in our own wrongheadedness, I mean, I get up every day and probably do something that Jesus is not pretty very happy with me about. We can choose to love this other person as well, right? That's humility, knowing that you need Jesus' love as much as they do, right? Second, we try to persuade that person with gentleness and respect. We try to lead them into truth, right? In an age where two sides constantly yell at each other without any real dialogue, which is really what's happening out there right now, we engage in in church, we engage in in intensive listening and actual attempts to loving persuasion. And persuasion can be an act of love. It's not just manipulation. Manipulation actually got a bad rap. It can actually be a good thing to manipulate somebody to something good, right? Right? And this typically happens better in the context of one-on-one, like face-to-face conversations. Sometimes it can be done in email. That's still a little tricky. But definitely it should not be done over Facebook or whatever, out in the, all these like, social whatever medias. It just, it just doesn't work. That's where, you know, argu- argumentation and, you know, discourse seems to happen in jabs and sound bites. It's, it just doesn't help us. Third, at some point, we choose to let it go. We choose to let it go. Realizing that people will change over time. Be patient, right? Perhaps you're familiar with the story of Paul and Barnabas, you know, parting ways in the book of Acts. They were friends. They were partners in ministry and all that kind of stuff. But they came to some sharp dispute, which, you know, and they had to part ways. They had to go separate ways. However, from all accounts, it seems like that that was uh, managed with some respect and some some care for each other. Uh, Paul actually praises Barnabas later in, in, in the scriptures. And then finally, fourth, there are occasional circumstances when, especially in issues of leadership, church discipline must take place in light of unrepentant sin. If somebody just refuses to listen to reason and especially if they have influence and a positional authority over people they need to be dealt with And, and those are very difficult times they're very solemn times and they should be done in community with prayer and guidance from the spirit and from the word of god so let's do this well let's be responsible to dig into the scriptures ourselves to know Christ to know what what the scriptures talk to, talk uh, tell us about who God is and who we are in light of him, and all this stuff let 's not get oust and and jettison our convictions that the church has held on to for centuries so quickly, and then find ourselves ten years from now upset that we didn 't listen well, okay, let me pray for us, Father. We thank you that you are God of universe, that you were Lord of Lords and King of Kings, that you created us, you loved us, you care for us, you've pursued us, you're patient with us, and we especially thank you for the cross that paid the price for us, for your resurrection, that opened up the door to heaven. We thank you that your blood covers us. Come and teach your children. Convict us in great ways. And even if we disagree, we pray that we would give healthy respect to one another as we have difficult conversations. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. We're going to pass the tithe.